Welcome to the Force Multiplier for Law Enforcement podcast with your host, Lorenzo Valdivia. This is a place where we discuss different factors that give law enforcement officers the ability to accomplish greater feats and tasks than they would without it. We will have unfiltered, candid conversations with those who have knowledge, know-how, and bring what they feel are these different types of variables to help keep our law enforcement on their top game. Enjoy today's show. Welcome to Force Multiplier for Law Enforcement. I am your host, Lorenzo Valdivia. Before we start today, I would like to uh, invite everybody and remind everybody we have some new Force Multiplier for Law Enforcement podcast t-shirts available. You can find the link for the shirts in the episode description. You can also find it on our social media page by going to facebook.com forward slash Force Multiplier for Law Enforcement. Today, we have a guest with us, Daniel. Daniel, welcome to Force Multiplier. Thanks, Lorenzo. Thanks for having me. Hey, appreciate it. Appreciate you coming on. Appreciate you taking some time uh, to come on and, and talk with the listeners. Today, we're going to talk about some gum grab systems. Uh, we're going to get into some like realistic um, type training uh, and training with your gear and training with multiple tools. Sometimes we talk about like training with one tool, right? In, in a, in a self-defense and in fighting. And then, you know, we'll talk about fighting with just your gun and, and training in the environment, but you like to talk about the realistic approach of training with all of those tools together. So we're going to jump into that and we're going to have some great conversation today, but before we do, let's let the listeners know a little bit about who you are, what you do and, and kind of what you bring to the table for, for the law enforcement community. Sure. Thanks, Lorenzo. Um, so my background, you know, first and foremost, uh, I've been a martial artist for many years. Um, back in 93, 94, I had been competing in uh, judo, and that was around the time the first UFC came out. So right in 94, started training BJJ, um, and I became a police officer back in 98. Uh, I had some mixed martial arts matches uh, throughout that time period up until about 2010. Um, so I kind of bring that martial arts background into my police tactics and training environment. So it kind of gave me a different perspective. And what I really saw a severe need for in the police training world is that there needs to be resistive based training and not just defensive tactics, but in everything, you know, in, from taser to firearms to uh, OC spray and so forth. So it, it all needs to be trained together, similar to the way mixed martial arts is trained today, where you have, you know, striking and grappling and takedowns and, and ground and everything. It all needs to, you know, flow cohesively all together uh, instantaneously. Hey, Lorenzo, I can't hear you. I think I lost you. All righty, there we go. Okay. So we were able to pick. Yeah, you're good. So we've talked with past guests before um, on this topic. Um, again, we've talked, you know, to, to defensive tactics guys, and then we've talked to firearms guys um, about this. And one thing that we see a lot is, you know, we, we do it here and we do it there, but you really like to talk about bringing in those weapons together, right. And, and training as, as a whole, can you talk to us a little bit about that and, and kind of your perspectives and, you know, what you've seen throughout your, your time as training law enforcement? Uh, sure. It's 
the issue I see is there's all these different islands of training, right? You have your taser qualification, your firearms qualification, uh, less lethal shotgun qualification, um, and the training and qualifications. It's all these different islands. And the way I see it, and, and many others I've talked to, like-minded trainers, it, it really needs to be done all together simultaneously with decision-based training, with resistive elements of training to certain degrees. And, you know, of course, when you start incorporating firearms into it, um, that's automatically pushing a, a training gun, whether it be a, a laser cert gun or airsoft or uh, NLTA, non-lethal training ammunition. So that's kind of where I see everything going. And, and specifically, a lot of the training that I do is is pretty much dealing with that five feet and under distancing with empty handed skills with firearm skills. Because I mean, that's where unfortunately our officers are getting killed in the line of duty. It's um, mm -hmm. FBI statistics is consistently about 50% of all officers killed by firearms is happening at a distance under five feet. Right. And, you know, that we, is it funny because this morning I was actually out with um, some uh, fellow law enforcement guys and some of our church security for uh, our church. We were out doing some range time. And that was one of the topics that we talked about um, is, hey, guys, like, you know, these 15, 25 yard shots, you know, they're good to have. Right. It's good to have in your in your arsenal and, and being confident that. But we're going to spend a lot of our time at seven yards and in because that's where a lot of these engagements are going to happen. Right. Um, in, in our situation, we were talking particularly in a church situation where, you know, maybe something happens in the church and, and we need to engage a subject, um, you know, seven yards is in is, is where your, your money's at. That that's where your, most of these engagements happen. And, you know, from there it's creating distance and, and, you know, maybe suppressing and, and taking, uh, down that subject, you know, and, and you're probably transitioning to a, a longer weapon at that point. But that close in spot is, is where it's really dangerous for law enforcement. And it's where a lot of law enforcement don't really think and, and take into consideration of, you know, maybe I don't want that that firearm pointed straight out. Right. Maybe I want to uh, come in a little bit closer, close and ready position, you know, get a get a hand between us um, to prevent that that gun grab, uh, you know, and, and that fight that we ultimately see police officers in those close engagements. Yeah, absolutely. Um it's it's really come down to and we see these videos all the time um weapons getting punched out at one and two foot distances um there's one video that i had saved onto my website um and there's three police officers in a bedroom and the subject pulls a, a pistol at contact distance on the officer and the interesting thing about the video is um the subject he ends up ended up getting shot and killed but what was striking to me was that there were three firearms involved in that incident you had the subject's firearm was fired at, at the deputy right in front of him there was a, a two officers that fired their weapons all three guns were had malfunctioned they had all man malfunctioned because of uh, contact shots with the weapon being pressed forward pressing a contact shot on the subject, and it led to a, a weapon malfunction. I had never seen that before. Three firearms induced malfunctions on a single incident, um, which to me is apparent that there needs to be additional training at the contact distance range 
where we need to stop punching our firearms forward and have more of a retracted base draw or a retracted based uh, shooting platform. And that's, that's a lot of the training that I offer is for that five foot and under distance. Yeah, there's a, um, so I train with um, strategic self-defense and gunfighting tactics. That's the defensive tactics company that we go through and our firearms division. We have a guy, his name is Jack, not Jack. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to mess up his last name if I say it. And um, he is a retired sergeant major of the John F. Kennedy Special Warfare Training Center. And what we've brought into him is just that, right? Just that that close in, um, you know, I, I've seen some videos of him training uh, some of the law enforcement officers. And that's what he talks about is, is that close in, right? Bringing that gun in and really tucking it back and, and then engaging, not having that gun pressed out, being aware of the other hand, right? And, and knowing what you're doing with it. But it allows your weapon to cycle properly. It, it prevents anything from inducing a malfunction into that firearm that can happen pretty easily in those close engagements. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that I think what you're referring to is commonly now it's called a retention position yeah. up, up in here. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that's definitely a great position to know. Everyone that carries a weapon needs to know that. Um, what we do in our system is we carry it a little bit further um, right out of the holster, we're looking to get two hands immediately on the weapon here um, into our, our center position. And what that enables me to do is I can use my elbows to strike, to deflect gun grabs and so forth. Um, also, this position ends up on the ground. I, if I get two or three subjects on top of me, I'm able to actually lay right on top of my gun to uh, you know, momentarily guard it, protect it, and, and look to have a firing position that's repeatable and is not going to induce malfunctions, kind of like what you had said. Yeah, no, I, I to I'm totally with you on that. Um, you know, I, I think it, personally in a close engagement, you you need to have two two hands on that firearm because if not, you're fighting a 50-50 battle, right? We, we, I want to up my percentage in, in my percentage of, of grab on that gun versus bad guy if they do get that gun. Right, right. Yeah. And, you know, grip is tremendously important. One of the things that we do in my course is that instead of having a two-handed grip where I have um, thumbs forward, my thumbs actually come together. Like, so kind of like a mm -hmm. uh, Sewell position, but now the weapon is, is held right here in the center. And it, it's, it's basically like a football fumble, right? You got the ball bounces on the, on the field. You got multiple players. Everyone's looking to grab that football and just crush it right into their chest, right? With opposing palm force, you know, right in right. here. And if needed, I, if I got a, a player on my right, a player on my left, not only am I using my arm strength, but now if someone's coming around this way to take that football away, I can just turn my whole body away. Um, and in the context of having a pistol, uh, I can turn it away. And then when the opening arrives, I can recreate that opening and have a direction of fire. Right. Yeah. And, you know, while we're on this, let, let's talk about this a little bit. Um, because I think this is a very important piece for, for people to understand and, and for the law enforcement officers is that when somebody is trying to grab your gun, right, your focus needs to be on retaining that weapon. And, and 
you need to, because what I see a lot of is, well, if they grab your gun, you need to release this hand and, you know, do this strike or, or throw this. Well, now you're back into a 50-50, right? Your focus needs to be on retaining that weapon. And then once we get bad guy off of us, now we go into this other stuff. But your focus, when, when somebody's trying to grab your gun, your focus needs to be on keeping that gun, either using a, a, a certain grip to keep it chest level, um, you know, against your body where you can retain it, or get it back into that holster where we have multiple levels of, of um, retention and then deal with that subject of, of that's trying to take your weapon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and it all comes down to levels of retention. Um, and, and the way I explain to my students is, you know, compare it to a, the levels of retention on a holster, right? You have a level one, a level two. Well, I can equivalent, make that equivalent to a hand on a pistol, right? This I could say is the level one, one hand on. Uh, two hands on the pistol. Well, going beyond level two, can I enhance simply a pistol grip and make it go beyond a level two retention? And I would most definitely say yes. Mm -hmm. I could do so by, okay, I have two hands on the weapon now. Now I have a third point of contact right on my solar plexus region here, three points of contact. Is that worth a, an extra level of retention? I would say absolutely. Um, if my wrists are bent, right, a, a bent wrist is a weak wrist. Mm -hmm. If I change my grip from here in a conventional sense to thumbs together, and now I'm here, now my wrists are straight. My yeah. straight wrists are far stronger than a bent wrist. Right. Um, so, you know, the list kind of goes on and on as far as the enhancement that grips can, can make. And one of the points that you had mentioned about getting into other techniques and using other hands. If someone grabs the gun, you know, you strip it and other types of techniques. The moment you take your hand off the gun, now potentially at that instant moment, you could have one subject's two arms or two hands on my gun and I'm only having Correct. one as I'm risking doing some other type of technique with my support hand. Yeah, you know, it's funny because, um, you know, as a, as a trainer, um, one of the questions, you know, when we talk weapons retention, right, they'll ask me, I'll, I'll get my students to ask, uh, you know, we'll be in weapons retention, right? So we'll say, hey, whatever happens, subject got hands on your gun and you're trying to get the, keep your gun in your holster or whatever. So let's, let's say it's, it's drawn and I'll get the question, well, what if they start, what if they put you in a headlock? Well, then you're going to address the headlock. But right now they have their hand on your gun. I don't care about the headlock that's going to happen in 45 seconds. I care about this gun that they have their hands in and they're trying to take. I don't care about that bear hug that they're going to do in a, in a minute. My focus, 100% mm -hmm. of my focus, when somebody has my gun, it needs to be that present moment, that gun grab. The bear hug, the headlock, I'll worry about those if they come, but those are never going to come, especially if, they have my, if they're able to strip my weapon. I'm never going to see those moments. So I need to focus on this, get this thing put away or create distance if I'm able to. And then I'll worry about those bear hugs and those headlocks when they come. But right now, yeah. my focus is here. Or, well, what if they punch me in the face? Absolutely. Well, yeah. are you worried about that punch in the face or are you worried about the gun grab? Because I'm going to tell you this. If they punch you in the face, that means they have one hand on your gun and you have two. So you're at the advantage right now. Yes, that punch is dangerous. Right. Absolutely. But let's worry about this right now, the most dangerous situation, 
and then we'll worry right. about that punch in the face. Then we'll worry yeah. about that headlock. And, and if it, it becomes a trade-off, right? It's if somebody's going to take, uh, if we're wrestling over my gun, right, and they're going to take one hand off my gun and now go for a punch in my face while they're trying to take my gun away. Well, now they're, they're putting themselves at a risk is, which is, are they willing to trade, you know, a punch to my face versus them getting hit with a nine millimeter? Exactly. So, which I, I know what trade I would uh, rather <laughs> choose in that context. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, you know, you mentioned a really good point, and this is something else that we address in our training is that, you know, once the pistol is out, we have to be fully capable to have other systems, other tools that we could use. And what I mean by that is, you know, in today's day and age, especially against law enforcement, the boldness and just the outright uh, daringness of, you know, you see videos of officers with their pistol out lawfully justified to order someone down to the ground. And what does the bad guy do? Oh, my hands are up. Are you going to shoot me? They start closing the distance. And now the officer who's, you know, maybe they're three, four, five feet away and they keep telling the subject, you know, get back, get back. Are you going to shoot me? He keeps closing in. Now he starts throwing punches at the officer and the officer knows I, I can't shoot this guy because, uh, you know, putting a bullet on somebody for a, a punch to my face is going to put me in jail. Right. So that's one of the things that we also perform in my training is that with this different grip here, I can, I can use my elbows. I can do blocks with my pistol. I can do elbow strikes. If I go into, that leads me to my next point. If I need to use my elbows in an offensive sense, uh, in per my example, if somebody's throwing punches at me and I don't have time to holster my weapon, mm -hmm. we've all seen it on the range with no stress. Guys are like, you know, they can't find their holster. Oh, I got to look there it is. And you know, I'm going to get hit in the face three, four times when I'm trying to reholster my weapon. So in order to put forth offensive elbows, one thing I can do with this grip, which I think is just, is great. I can take my support finger. I can block my trigger finger. Now I've just created uh, a safe trigger, a safe grip that's going to block the trigger from even entering the trigger guard. Now, if I had to use elbows, I can use linear elbows. I can use arcing elbows here. Um, I can block my head if I'm getting uh, struck at. Um, it just really opens up the ability. It frees the body where I can now use my elbows, whereas uh -huh. in a traditional grip, I'm kind of stuck here. Uh, it, I'm, I'm more inhibited on what my arms and elbows can do for me. Right. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's important is, is being able to know how to strike and what you can strike with a weapon in your hand. Um, because there are different, we, we teach a, a little bit different of a, of a grip for, for it, but it, it allows the same thing that if I'm close, I can use those elbows to create distance. And, and that's what they're for. They're, they're a distance creator to allow mm -hmm. me to either engage or to holster safely and then be able to move on to other tools or, or other objects, depending on, you know, what the threat level is at that point. Absolutely. Yeah. Great point. Yep. Um, and, you know, the other part that people have to understand is, um, 
and and I say this and and you know you see some people that get they get upset with what I'm going to say but those that train understand is just because somebody goes for your firearm and that threat stops the need the need or the have to I'm not saying you're not justified right you're you're completely justified but you don't always have to start putting rounds on target at the at the conclusion of that event right right and and it's I see it as it's like a racetrack right there's uh there's straightaways there's curves you have to accelerate you have to brake, and adapting an officer adapting to the use of force that uh, he or she is able to apply you need to instantly be able to adjust oh you know i got a straightaway green light i can use lethal force and then all of a sudden that's that moment's gone right now i have to slam on the brakes here comes the curve and now I have to, you know, instead of instead of shooting, now I have to bring my weapon down and think about, okay, the guy just dropped the knife. Um, if I've got space, I'm I'm gonna holster my weapon and go hands-on because he right. just surrendered or or something like that. So just that that de-escalation option always needs to be there. And through you know higher level of training, when you're incorporating all of the elements of force from you know, um, armed subjects with a knife or a gun or empty hand and the officer going from, you know, blocking punches um, to a, a grappling attack to subject pulls a knife, um, officer pulls his, his weapon, a training weapon in a training context, right? Um, so all of these things need to be incorporated. And, and really what it is, is it's the reactionary gap, right? Yeah. So all of this training, we need to enhance inside the reactionary gap, right? In law enforcement, we're always taught, you know, oh, maintain your reactionary gap, maintain your distance. Well, Murphy's law always proves that that, that gets screwed up. You know, we always get pressed inside the reactionary gap and right. then officers <laughs> haven't adequately trained that stuff. Right. It's, it's like a, it's a utopia of law enforcement that we're always going to maintain our reactionary gap, mm -hmm. but you know we see it in all types of sports, combat yep. sports specifically. That um, it's all about who's best inside the reactionary gap, and you know it could be a grappling or a, a boxing thing or whatever. Yeah, right? taking notes as we as we talk. So yeah, yeah. So it's. It's just, um, you could see it in the early UFCs, you know, you had specialists in kickboxing and karate of, you know, wrestling, jujitsu, mm -hmm. you know, you saw, you saw the different elements. And when it went from one element to the next, it was kind of clunky, right? It wasn't smooth and seamless. You right. watch MMA now, it's just amazing. Um, just the level, the instantaneous adaptation mm -hmm. from, you know, a, a wrestling against the fence too. Now they're throwing elbows and now there's a break and they're in kickboxing mode. Um, and, and that's really, and I use that as an example, because I think it's a perfect example of officers need to be able to do the same thing with all their tools. Right. And it's, it's even more complicated than what an MMA fighter would have to do, but you know, it's, it's something we could strive for and, and seek improvement upon. Absolutely. And, you know, always being able to adapt, right? That I think that's the biggest thing that from UFC um, that I've learned from it is, you know, if you take folks that were competitors in the UFC back in the day, 
if they use those exact same techniques now and brought it into U- UFC now, the, their success would not be nowhere near what it was back in the day, right? Because people have seen stuff. They've adapted to stuff. And, and they've modernized a lot of their fighting st- techniques and their fighting styles and, and things they do. And for law enforcement, we need to have that same mindset that, hey, man, what happened in the 80s, what happened and worked in the 90s, isn't going to work now in 2022 because there is a whole different world out there, right? In in the 90s, mm-hmm. early 90s, we didn't have that many, many bad guys training in martial arts, right? And you know, I was talking right. to a good I was talking to a good friend of mine and um it, his name's Johnny Lee Smith. Uh, the listeners have heard me talk about him before. And he said, you know, he he he's been a lifelong martial artist. Um he's uh, a a high-level um jiu-jitsu black belt. And he would say, you know, one of the biggest things that he's seen and in, in changes in martial arts school is back in the 90s, early 2000s, when he was running his school, if somebody came in and they were a, and I'm going to use quotation marks, criminal, right? They, they, were, they were not the best that society had to offer. They didn't train in his gym. And he knew a lot of martial arts owner, school owners that would say, you know what? No you're 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 a thug you're a criminal you're a drug dealer and i'm not training you well guess what a lot of schools now they don't care if you're out Mm -hmm. on the streets committing crimes right they they Mm -hmm. see dollar signs so Mm. yeah what that and what that means for law enforcement is that these guys that you're training or that you're you're encountering these guys that you're going to arrest these guys that you're going to gonna have conflict with guess what they might be high level martial artists they mm-hmm. might have some t- time in 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 jujitsu and in in karate and taekwondo and mma and you got to train for that you got to be ready for right. that because if you don't it's not going to be a good day for that police officer at the end of the day oh that's a great point yeah absolutely and, and I would add to that, you know, why do we why do we use these tools as law enforcement? Well, it's it's because it gives us an advantage. Right. So in the in the same sense that these criminals that become high level martial artists or jujitsu or MMA fighters um, are police. We can't expect every police officer to also be a high level MMA or jujitsu or, or whatever high-level martial artist, right? Well, what's the next best thing? Oh, well, they have these tools to give them an upper hand. Well, guess what? All these tools, the officer better be highly trained at applying them, which means resistive-based training with all of these different decision-based elements that mm-hmm. you know need to happen um, and seamlessly flow from, okay, taser um, to firearm to... Um, uh, grappling skills for a, an arrest and handcuffing, right? So, all of this needs to happen seamlessly. No, I I'm totally with you. One hundred percent agree with you. You know, I think one of the biggest things that people have to understand about defensive tactics, um, and I feel like there's too many companies out there that are getting away from what is defensive tactics, right? Defensive tactics, if you look at it, it's its own martial art, right? Um, yeah. Jiu-jitsu is not defensive tactics, and, and I'm probably going to upset some people from that, right? Um, and I'm okay with it. Taekwondo 
is not defensive tactics. MMA is not defensive tactics. Elements of those martial arts are defensive tactics. But if you look at defensive tactics, it's truly its own martial art because it's different than anything that's out there and has elements of everything. But a true defensive tactics system will enable an officer to create distance, to, to get out of a bad situation, to go to those tools that you're talking about. And when I evaluate defensive tactics systems, and, and I've been an instructor through a lot of different defensive tactics systems before I found the system that I truly like and, and I truly believe in. And one of the elements that I always evaluated was, do they teach police officers to be able to get themselves out of safe situation and mm. how and when to transition to a tool? Because that ultimately right. is what's going to multiply that force that you have. One way that I like right. to teach this to my students is um, I'll, I'll pose them with a question, right? They'll say, well, why don't you just teach us to control that person, right? They did this and, and now I'm, I'm going to get into this position and you know, now I'm going to be able to control them. And I said, are you really? Are you really going to be able to control that person? Because l let's take this back from when we first met on a traffic stop. We met, you got out, you asked me for my ID, you pulled me out of the car and we're in, in the back of the car. Right, we're, we're just going to go with that. That's our scenario. And at some point, I'm bad guy, and I attacked you. And I was able to get you off of your feet, and we were on the ground. Maybe I was able to get on top of you. Maybe you were able to get on top of me. But we are fighting, and you're in a struggle. What makes you think that if I, bad guy, was able to get you off the ground and get you into a fight, that all of a sudden, now that we're on the ground, all of a sudden, you're going to be able to control me? Explain that to me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What you need to do is you need to focus on how to get away from that because guess what? What you don't think about while we're sitting here talking is all that energy that you've used, all that exhaustion level that you're at from standing to getting on the ground, you've exerted a lot of energy. You're, you're, mm -hmm. you're running at maybe 50, 50, 40% of your tank now, maybe if you're lucky. Yep. You need to use that last 40% of your tank to create distance and go to your tool belt and know how to use your tools and what tools to use to be able to control that subject. That's how you control somebody who has the upper hand on you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I couldn't agree more that defensive tactics is another martial art. I mean, look, look at the martial arts and, and, you know, I have different uh, trainings throughout the years and a couple of black belts in different arts. And, you know, the way I see, all martial arts, in my opinion, falls into two major categories. Um, do they have resistive based training elements of, you know, say boxing has sparring, right? Kickboxing has sparring, um, uh, jujitsu, wrestling. They all have sparring or wrestling or grappling. It's resistive based where you don't have a partner cooperating with you. Mm -hmm. And then you have the other martial arts that don't do that, that do not have resistive base training in judo. Um, you know, we would refer to that as randori, right? Yep. Uh, resistive base training. And when you really break it down and, and when I look at it at defensive tactics, there's three elements to all martial arts. There's, you know, your kata or forms. Kata or forms with firearms could be, I'm going to work drawing out of the holster and fire dry firing at home, right? That's a kata. I'm going through a, a practiced set of sequenced movements. Um, if I want to bring that a little further to the next point, I can have um, 
seeking the per perfection point of drills, right? I can work resistive light drills with partners to work on my draw in a grappling context, or um, we could work takedown skills against the wall um, in more of a drilling context, you know, like in judo, uchikomi, um, mm -hmm. just seeking perfection through drills. And then I have, yeah. we have resistive base training um, with NLTA simunitions um, with force on force that, you know, through the martial arts lens, that's Randori um, similar to, and, and that's really how all of the training falls into those major categories, whether it's a martial art or it's police training. Yeah. Um, side note, totally. Um, let's go down the rabbit hole real quick. Is uh, so I, I'm a jujitsu practitioner. Love it. You know, it, it's what I do. And uh, I've recently <laughs> really recognized, like, hey, I got to get a better takedown game because my takedown game isn't isn't the top notch, right? It'll work against the average person in, in the street, right? I, I'm confident there. But inside of my gym, I'm like, man, some of these guys are getting really good. So I recently started taking judo. Uh, our um, our head instructor, he's a, a, a judo black belt. And uh, one thing I've realized very quickly is I hate getting thrown. I hate it. <laughs> judo is rough. Man, it's I thought. jujitsu. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and, and that's true. I thought, man, I thought jujitsu was rough and, you know, it, it was hard on you. You know, you're always getting your arms and limbs and stuff pulled and yanked and stuff. Where, get thrown on the ground by another human being. It It's life changing. It, it really makes you question. Oh. You know, I, 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 uh, trained with a buddy, um, and, uh, you know, we, we do a lot of fittings and then we would do like one throw and, and not, a, it would just be a throw, right. Just, just to know you got the technique, not, not full on. And, uh, like, um, Uchi Komi. Yeah. And, and he threw, yeah. he threw me and, uh, I hit the ground and I was like, Hey man, I need a minute. And he's like, you good. I was like, I'm pretty sure you just sent my soul down to my ancestors to say hi. Like, <laughs> right. It was miserable. <laughs> um, no, uh, no crash pads. I take it. No, we didn't. Well, let me rephrase that. We have a, one crash pad, um, but we, the, the judo thing is new to the gym. Very new within the last like mm -hmm. six months uh, or so. Um, we're, we're actually practicing it. So we don't have crash mats, pads yet. We just mm -hmm. have jujitsu mats and um, they're, they're not forgiving. Like you think they are. Yeah, no, it's, those are all great points. And judo is awesome. I, I don't practice judo much now. It's just, it's very rough. It's, it's a young man's game. In my opinion, you look at a lot of these old judo guys, they're, they're usually pretty banged up. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's a phenomenal art for dealing with, uh, you know, in the clinch, a lot of my tactics, you know, with, with the pistol, and the ability to use your hips in the clinch, you know, if your arms are tied up to use your legs and hips, judo is just amazing. It, it, it greatly enhances the takedown and clinch game, whether yeah. it's, it's armed or, or unarmed. Um, and, and really on the ground too, it has a little bit of a different take. And, you know, I had competed and done BJJ for many years. Um, and th the ground is, is less guard centric, right? So the interesting thing about that with the pistol and this, this method is, you know, you notice when I hold the frontal traditional grip here, it's frontal here. I have a lateral grip here mm -hmm. where it's, it's the fire is directed out of the firing shoulder. Right. So what, what that enables to happen on the ground is that if I keep somebody in my guard and I, I, 
lock the ankles. I actually don't want that. I want them to pass my guard because if, if we're fighting over my gun, I will give up the guard because the moment they pass my legs, I have that ability to direct fire upon them uh, in a lethal force uh, instance. So there are elements that, you know, judo I find is, is quite helpful. Yeah. And, you know, there are, and, you know, let's, uh, let's talk the guard a little bit. Um, I, I don't think a police officer and, and follow me with this, except under, under certain circumstances should use a guard to keep bad guy controlled. And the reason I say that is if I have my legs wrapped around you and my ankles locked in, right. And in a traditional guard fashion, that means that I am keeping you connected to me. And my goal needs to be able to create distance from you. And I cannot do that if my legs are wrapped around you. I am forcing bad guy to fight, right? And I always play this from a, a lawyer perspective, right? Because we, we have to think about that, right? What is that subject's lawyer going to say? Well, here's what I'm going to say. Ready? Well, you see when he was fighting you and punching you? Yeah. Well, he was trying to get away. Well, no, he wasn't. He, he was trying to hurt me. Well, you see your legs wrapped around him? He couldn't get away, so he was doing that to try and create distance because he didn't want to fight you, but you forced mm -hmm. him into that position, and, and he was doing what he can to get away. Mm -hmm. mm. Okay. What do you got to say to that, officer? Well, crap. That's what I have to say, right? And, right. and right. you know, people, you know, argue that, that piece, and, you know, you can argue it forever, but... In the end, what, what do you say to that, right? And, and if, I'm if I'm keeping you connected to me as a police officer, well, now that means that you're close to my gun, especially in a guard, right? You, you know how close I am to your, to your firearm. That also means that I'm not working to create distance to go to my tools, to, to multiply what I have, which, again, puts me in a bad spot because I got to think about that second subject coming. Well, guess what that guy that I'm keeping in the guard has to do to keep me there while his buddy comes? He just has to hug my hips. Mm -hmm. and, and now I'm in trouble. I can't get away. And I put myself in a very right. bad spot on my back. Yeah, I, I agree. And you're, you're totally locked into your opponent. And you never know when that second or third guy is going to come running up. If, if I'm already in a position where I'm in the guard and I start to do a, you know, a knee brace and look to kick, kick them off, um, yeah. If, if my legs are not locked to that first guy and now the second or third guy come, I have at least the ability to, to roll, to turn away. Um, and if we're talking about, you know, a, my pistol is out, right. Um, that further raises the importance of me being able to transition to another position, yeah. even if I might have two guys on top of me, because, you know, it's like if, if, an officer who's ever tried arresting somebody that has their hands buried under their stomach as <laughs> yeah. they're as they're laying on the ground, it's really no different than if we're in jujitsu um, and we're going for that that arm bar, right? And now guy grabs his sleeve, you know, and I grab this sleeve and I'm hugging my arm here. It's really difficult, right? Mm -hmm. You need to have some skills to be able to to separate that locked up arm and and get it extended. Um, yeah. It's it's not easy, right? Yeah, I'm with you. So let's uh, tell us a little bit about your 360 gun grab system. Kind of, you know what what it is. You know, we've talked a little bit about your your beliefs and and steps in that, but let's talk about the system as a whole. What is it? How'd you come up with it? 
Um, you know, and are law enforcement officers today training in that? Yeah, it's it's a relatively new system. So um, it really starts from the grip that I had mentioned before. Mm -hmm. And what the grip comes from is the center axis relock system uh, developed by Paul Castle. Um, it's really taking this grip, which is a high retention based grip um, and applying it to the grappling environment. Um, a lot of the work that we do is on the ground and there's five different ground positions to cover all the angles. So ultimately the goal with the system is to get a trainee proficient at being capable of from a, a bottom grounded position to be able to fire at all directions, full 360 and overhead at any attack coming in. It's, it's kind of like, I like to compare it to like the, um, the iron dome Israel has, right? Where <laughs> yeah. they have a dome over their whole city and any missile that comes in can be shot right out of the sky, right? So the officer that's in a down position, any threat that comes at any angle will instantly be able to change body position all from the center position and direct the firing shoulder at the threat. And it's it really works extremely well. Um, I've had a lot of excellent feedback from you know, my trainees that have taken it. And where so, can we find more information about this, uh, about your system? Are, do you have any videos out there by any chance or a social media page, website? Uh, yeah, I, I have a website. I have videos and all the information on there. It's 360ggs.com. 360. 360ggs. Yeah, 360 GGS gun grappling system. Also, it's a system specifically designed for gun grappling ranges and contact applications. And what we'll do for the listeners is we'll link all of this in the episode description so they don't have to rewind and then try to, to write it down and memorize it for later. Maybe they're driving in their car. Or, I don't know. Maybe somebody's crazy and running down the road while they're listening to our podcast. And uh, so we'll put all of that in the episode description. Do you have a social media page? Uh, yeah, it's uh, I've got a Facebook page. It's uh, facebook.com uh, slash perpetrator training. Um, and what you may find on there as well is I had developed a, a shoot back uh, target system for resistive based training in the firearms range. So what does that look like? What another project that I have. Can, can you give us uh, a little so bit basically more it's, it's a, of course, it's essentially a, a remote controlled target system. It has a three dimensional body um, and the robot base has a training weapon um, and it fires training projectiles out of the base. So it, you know, has a, creates a, a live fire range shootout. Uh, the trainees getting hit with uh, rubber paintballs as the training fires back live fire ammunition into oh the target fire. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like fun. sounds like some fun. That's uh, definitely some yeah. uh, definitely some uh, realistic resistive training, right? Yeah, that's what it's all about. Awesome, man. Well, hey, I appreciate you coming on. I, you know, I think we we talk some topics that are gonna get some people talking um, about uh, some some of this stuff. But um, you know, I I like to offer out. You know, anything else that you want to add? Maybe we didn't hit yet, or or something you want to leave the listeners with to, to think about, you know, as they go about their next week while they wait for the next episode to release. Yeah, I would just ask, uh, you know, consider 
all the contact-based uh, distance tactics and try trainers, try putting your training together with all of the elements of taser, firearms, uh, DT, um, all in one as best as you can. Um, that's, that's really, I think, where law enforcement is going and, and all of the uh, MMA that we've seen and people training in it is really pushing that envelope for us to bring forth that game to enhance our officers on the street. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. And, you know, I'll, I'll leave with one example that um, a, a good friend of mine gave me. And it's that if if UFC, right, if they change the rules and they said, hey, fighters, if you're in a bind and you're losing, your coach can jump the fence and come in and help you. Would you change the way that you trained? If the UFC said, hey, fighters, you can carry a firearm, a tool on your body, but you can only bring it out when you're losing. Mm. Would you as a fighter change the way you're training? Mm -hmm. And I can guarantee you, everybody listening, and and you probably would be in agreement, that the answer would be yes. I would change the way that Mm. I train if if those rule sets were in place. Mm-hmm. As police officers, those rules, those rule sets are in place, right? Bad guy can mm-hmm. use tools. Bad guy can use help. And you as a police officer, as the department training chief, as a department training head, as the department that is out there, you need to be aware of that. And you need to be open to adapting your training from those mm-hmm. things that you used and programs that you used in the 80s and the 90s. And make them realistic to and relevant to what is training today. And if you can do that, yeah. and I think you found a way of a piece of that answer, then you're taking your police officers in the right spot. But if you sit there and you mm-hmm. say, well, this is the way we've always done it. Well, I'm sorry, but that doesn't work anymore because bad guys are fighting on a different playing field now. They have different skills, right. different rules now. And you need to allow your officers and provide your officers that training and that adaptation to be able to take on today's threat, not the threat of 10 years ago. Right. Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, it it really led me to think about, you know, every system, whether, you know, martial arts system, boxing system or defensive tactics system of training for police, every system has a set of rules, right? And you have to play by the rules. You know, boxing, you can't do a takedown. Um, but the rules can make you enhanced at a higher level at what you are allowed to do. And, you know, the, the rules being so strict on law enforcement today really forces the envelope once again for police and training to really bring it, bring it up to the highest level possible because we are dealing with so many rules now. And it just, mm-hmm. it doesn't make a, a fight fair, right? It's like, can you imagine a UFC fight where it's like, oh, okay, um, uh, John Jones is the champion. Um, because he is the champion, um, he has an advantage and he's not allowed to attack first. The only time he can attack is he has to be punched in the face first and then he can counter, right? And, and that's kind of the rules that we have on law enforcement, right? The bad guy can punch the officer in the face first um, but you know the officer has to wait, and it's a, it's an artificial defensive mode of fighting, right? But that's the rules that were dealt with. You know Absolutely. what I mean? Yeah. No, I I 
get what you're saying. And, you know, it, it kind of along the lines with what I was just saying, but, you know, hopefully that yeah. for the next week, you know, that'll give our, our listeners and, and, you know, that maybe those department heads that, um, are those decision makers or, or maybe they're stuck in their ways a little bit, right? Well, I don't want to change it because this is the way that it's been done. Um, or I don't want to change certain elements of it because, well, we've done it this way. Well, maybe this will allow them to think on and be able to tr- provide some updated training, some some current relevant training for their law enforcement officers. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, hey, Daniel, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, appreciate you you sharing your experience and in your systems that you have. Um, again, for the listeners, we're going to link that in the episode description, so they're going to be able to find some more information on that. Maybe it's something they've been looking for, something they're interested in. Uh, they can find that. Uh, in that section. So again, appreciate you uh, coming on this week and in talking with the listeners. Great. Thank you so much, Lorenzo. I appreciate it. Uh, Before we close out, uh, you know, in the episode description, we do have some more links and information, ways that you can support the podcast so that we can reach out and uh, reach more law enforcement officers. Uh, We're not only reaching police officers in the United States, we are actually listened to in 27 different countries around the world. So uh, go ahead and go into the episode description, find some more information about the podcast. But until next week, as we do every week, we remind you to get out there and be better. Be better for yourself. Be better for your family. Be better for your friends. But most importantly, be better for those that you interact with daily in your communities. That's it for this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, be sure to subscribe and share with a friend so you never miss an episode of Force Multiplier for law enforcement. Another way that can help us grow and reach more listeners and agencies is by leaving us a review. They are read and the feedback is taken on how to make this podcast even better to reach our community and different law enforcement agencies. 